0: Welcome to another episode of This Startup Story. I'm your host, Jay Smith. Today's interesting fact. Did you know that when Disneyland first opened, they would give the guests lollipops to see how far they would walk before they would throw the wrapper on the floor? And then at that point, that's where they determined to put trash cans. So whenever you're at the Disneyland Resort or any of the Disney properties, see how far you have to walk to find a trash receptacle. Business. When you think of business, what do you think? Maybe you think financial freedom, making some money. Maybe you think profit. Maybe you think global expansion or global commerce. Maybe you think creating a global mission to to change the world and having your business be the vehicle that charges that. Well, for a lot of people, starting a business is already hard enough, right? I mean, you have to get your product to market And then you have to market it and try to make sure that it has enough value or have a great marketing proposition to the point where people actually want to buy your product, a for-profit business. Now imagine trying to do all of that, but you're a not-for-profit business. So sometimes you don't have a commodity that people actually want. Today's special guest, we're going to have Donovan Moser. Donovan Moser is the founder of Team Win a youth not-for-profit organization helping kids work towards after-school programs that help their physical fitness and leadership development. Now, as I mentioned earlier, starting a business is hard. And that's selling a commodity. Now, imagine starting a not-for-profit business and trying to engage and grow and share your mission and get that buy-in from people. Now that's a task. So today, Donovan's going to go over some of the things that, some of the hurdles he had starting a nonprofit and some of the parallels of the entrepreneurial mindset that it takes to start a nonprofit. Because, like we established already, starting a business could be hard by itself. And how he found some creative ways to navigate through not having necessarily a core product in the beginning to sell people, but how he managed to navigate through that and overcome those hurdles and now. He has an organization that's, one, their mission is to help develop the future leaders of tomorrow. I think that's super important. But two, he didn't make excuses. And he's going to go over, you know, some of the hurdles and mental challenges he had to push through. So today's episode is going to be super jammed packed. Whether you're starting a not-for-profit or a for-profit business, this is an episode you definitely do not want to miss. Stay tuned. Today's special guest is Don Moser. Don, thanks for coming on the show today. No doubt. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I Appreciate it. So, uh, before we get started and we just dive into our conversation, if you could just go ahead and give the uh, give our team of listeners a little a little intro as to who you are and what's bringing you on the show today.
1: Yes, thanks. Uh, so, a little bit about myself. My name is Donovan Moser. I am the director of a nonprofit. WIN Youth Foundation. Um, the WIN is an acronym for We're Important Now. Uh, it's for the youth. Uh, we host youth basketball programs, we host youth sports programs, summer camps, um, after school programs as well. Uh, we promote literacy through our books that we have published um, under our um, tagline, WIN Youth Foundation. Um, and besides that, we've been working with the youth for about five years now, um, whether it's either mentoring or coaching or uh, training or, you know, helping with homework, we do a lot of things like that. Um, So we've been at it for a while and, you know, we really love what we're doing and we have a big impact on the community. Um, And they recognize us as someone and some people that, you know, are there for the kids and they put the kids first. That's why we love our acronym WIN. We're important now.
0: Yeah, and that's that's amazing. Um, I think I know for me, I was in sports at a super young age. Yeah, and so it was it was a pretty vital uh, cornerstone of my life growing up, and you built a lot of uh, great skills. Now, I kind of want to jump into because I'm sure people are listening, and they're like, "What does?" why is a nonprofit on a show about startups but i think you guys might have it a lot more difficult trying to start launch a start or a nonprofit than a traditional for profit startup so take us into some of those hurdles i mean what, what what was it like to try to get off the ground as a nonprofit
1: yeah that's a great question so we actually started off llc um, you know, besides the um, mentoring, we were volunteers. We did everything first. We first and foremost, before we did the LLC, we were volunteers. Uh, we did everything completely free. You know, on a volunteer basis. Um, whenever we had free time, we would visit YMCA's. We would visit Boys and Girls Clubs, different things like that. Just to, just myself um, and a couple of other uh, teen, you know, leaders. That's what we called them, um, to just help. Um, so we started there. Then as More and more people started to see exactly what our program was about. They wanted to inquire about other things. Hey, do you have this? Do you have that? I saw that you were coaching or you were volunteering and you do that well. And, you know, how can we get our, you know, our children with you? So there was that. So then things started to snowball and we started to gain some momentum. So the first thing I thought of was LLC, of course, for profit, you know, um, we need money. Of course, um, but we want to also be able to be recognized as um, a company that you know pays their taxes and you know uh, can you know collect taxes at the end of the year and file this and that and you know accept different things. But one thing that we forgot was donations. Um, so um, a lot of people, again, the business is growing, LLC, everything is good. However, being involved with the youth, a lot of you know, officials and, and, and council people, they, they recognize the youth as not being something to make money off of. So what they do is they offer things in forms of grants. You see what I'm saying? They offer things in forms of donations, but it's to be used for the business. And I'm, you know, as the business owner, I'm thinking to myself, and I've spoke with lot of different financial advisors, and I'm thinking it would be more beneficial for the program, for the company, for the brand, to go nonprofit and LLC. And the uh, reason for that being, nonprofit allows us to get donations that help the child that help the the kids, and it helps the program continue to be, um, you know, fluid and continue to continue to move forward. However, the LLC allows us to sell the different products, the different um, uh, sell the different products that we have, you know such as the books and the apparel and you know we have a lot of different novelty items that we that we sell through our business because everything goes back into the business. so we felt it was much better um to go nonprofit, so that way when it comes time for paying for gym time like for instance if you wanted to rent something for a summer camp um paying for gym time for a regular person would cost you x amount of dollars which was a great deal of money hourly you know um and if you go nonprofit, then the gym rental is practically given to you you see what i'm saying so it's gotcha. like it's like wait a minute we're losing we're not losing but we're spending a lot of money to put on these programs but we're not really making too much but there's people that are offering these same facilities and these same venues for a fraction of the cost and we're still able to generate income that goes back into our program so it was a little bit difficult trying to figure out this and that and trying to you know maneuver, but once you look at it,
0: it's a win win yeah, and it's and there's no denying, like even a nonprofit needs profit to fund right. on their projects it's well yeah. at least in the early days, right uh, because a lot of people aren't just going to give money to a new organization whether it's for-profit or non-profit without kind of having a track record. Right. So kind of take us into so you mentioned different products that you use to to help fund the the your organization. Take us to some of the products that you're using to build and and to s- scale that growth. Yeah, so besides
1: let's say we have um, uh, Girl Scout Cookies. What is that called? What is that called? Girl Scout Cookies. When they're doing um, a fundraiser. Fundraiser. There you go. Okay. So, sure. So, besides the fundraising that we do for our nonprofit, um, we have fundraising events, um, you know, and they can range from Pretty much things, just think of your local um, Girl Scouts, you know, selling cookies and different things like that. Not necessarily those, but we have fundraising events. You know, shoot a thons where parents come and they pay for, you know, competitions for free throws or they do different things like that. Um, All star weekends where we host all star games and parents are involved and kids are involved. So we have fundraising for that. Um, When we're going on trips, you know, we have fundraising for that. But that is. It's still, you know, it's not enough to fund the whole entire program. So that's where you come to the other pro, the other side of the program, which is the products. We have books that we have purchased. I'm sorry, we have books. We have books that we have published. Um, a Kobe Bryant series. Actually, there was a book called Kobe Day that I published. Um, we published it about a year and a half ago uh and it's a story about a young boy who uses his imagination to imagine all the things that Kobe Bryant would do to celebrate Kobe Day um it was a great book um sorry
0: okay so that's that's something I want to dive into Kobe Day obviously a year and a half ago was prior to, I guess, at the time of this recording, uh, something extremely hap- tragic happened. Um, so take us into how this tragedy has impacted the way you view you youth sports and youth programs, and and what it was like to develop that that book and.
1: Well, you know, just from a fan aspect, you know, the book was was so easy to write. It was fun to write, really. Um, Just thinking of all the different things at the time, um, just thinking of all the different things he had done for the community. This is actually the second book of the trilogy. Um, It's supposed to be three books. We have another book that is coming out later on this year um, that we've had to Uh, push back a little bit, you know, due to some of the events that have occurred. But, yeah, just writing that book, the second book was just so fun. You know, seeing all the things that he was doing, you know, after, life after basketball. You know, he was writing books like me. You know, we had different, we had the same news. Um, We had uh, a lot of things in common, and I was just very, just like, oh, wow, now I get to learn even more. I mean, I already you know, sort of emulated my, my, my basketball playing to his. Now he's doing the same thing I'm doing. I'm like, this is awesome. So um, the book was just an ode to his, his, his other side, you know, to life after basketball. And, um, you know, we had been working for a few years to, you know, communicate and get the, um, the books to Kobe, you know, just to let him know. Hey, we're fans. We just want to share this with your company. So we want to share this, really share this with you and your family. Um, But we, of course, have to go through companies. And again, that's where nonprofits come in. You see what I'm saying? Because when you want to approach people and you let them know, hey, it's not. I'm not. I'm not doing anything for money. You know, I'm not to, to earn money. I'm doing it for you know the generosity and just to show the love. You know what I'm saying? Now, what happens after that? You know, with a cosign like that it's completely nobody knows anything. You know, some of the biggest things happen after a cosign like that from somebody you just are gifting something to. Um, so just last year in October, um he and I were both exhibiting our books at the Orange County Children's Book Festival. And it was such a whim for me to get there because I had just done a book fair literally 45 days before that date. And I don't know if you guys know, but book fairs, if you want to do a book fair, especially something big like this, especially with somebody like Kobe Bryant there, you have to be booked well in advance. Well, I had done book fairs in the past and I luckily I knew some people and they supported my vision and they were able to get us, you know, locked in there and we presented our books. Long story short, when I met Kobe, it was it was just confirmation as to why I admired his will, his determination, his legacy, his story. Um, he was just he was just a cool guy. I just let him know, you know, a quick story. Um he we were just blocked. It's just security everywhere. You can't get in to see him. Luckily I'm an exhibitor, so I'm back there. And I'm trying to uh, get to Kobe, Um, you know, because there's a long line, different things like that. Now he's telling people, they're telling people, you can't sign anything. He won't sign anything except for his books. So don't bring basketball. They were taking basketballs, they were taking, you know, sweaters. People had bought jerseys, people had lined up. The the book fair started at 8 a.m., okay? We had to get there at 5 a.m. to load up and and to get set up. Just because it was such a big deal. Well, that's standard. You got to get there about three hours. But I will say this. When I got there at about 4.45, there was a line (laughs) already for the fans to go and meet Kobe. Okay? This is 4.30 in the morning, man.
0: So what? Three hours before
1: the event itself? No, five hours before the event itself. Five hours? really 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 you had to be there at at a certain time just to get a wristband but you, you know just to get a wristband to even get in line to be considered so these people didn't even know it was like a it was like a, a almost a monopoly type of thing like they didn't even know if they were going to have a chance but they were there they were there at three thirty in the morning in fact the security guard told me that they were there the night before okay friday because, you know, so again, the grounds were setting up for the big fair. This, this fair sees 30,000 people every year, easily. Like, it's crazy. When Kobe comes, it's just do that times two. So these people were there, and they had to keep, you know, telling them they had to get off campus because it wasn't open. <laughs> they kept telling them, the security, the security guard, you know, just, he really had me laughing because he just kept telling me, like, man, it was crazy. It was mayhem. So Anywho, to um, get the book to Kobe. Um we met, shook hands. I said, Hey, I don't want you to sign anything. I just want to actually give you something. Um is a gift um for you and your family. Um and just again, just out of pure appreciation for you and thank you. And you know, looked at it, you know, he loved it. Smiled, we talked for a while, we chatted, and I was like, Okay, you got a line. So he said, Thanks. So he called his buddy, he said, put this, you know. With my stuff, so it was cool, really fun story um and it was great because I was like, "Oh wow, you know, we had already been in contact with Kobe Inc already, and we had some things you know working, but for me to personally meet them was much better in my eyes for future you know possibilities, but then things took a turn for the worse, um you know guy Ra and the other passengers that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, so I, I'm I'm curious because yes. obviously Kobe Bryant wasn't the only, and has not been the only athlete to ever touch basketball, to ever play sports, to ever go on to be a businessman. What does he, What did his impact in business mean for for you with your with your nonprofit? And why did you choose him to start a book? That's a great question. Um, And and again, how did you build those relationships to even start that conversation? Right. Uh, Man, Uh, just
1: (laughs) grinding a little bit naiveness, you know, not, you know, just, you know, of course, it's like, who are you and who are you and how do you expect to get to, you know, the top? Like, of course, there have been so many other authors that have written books You know, to uh, about Kobe Bryant and his legacy, whether they were you know picture books or picture books, or they were you know chapter books or whatever they were, magazines, so many different people. So who are you, and how do you expect to get there? Well, it was just me having determination. I mean, think about the book the books, the trilogies. Again, I've I've written other titles. Um, I've written other titles as well, but. The first athlete, the first book about athlete, Kobe Bryant, no brainer. You know, everything that I dedicated my work ethic to was to mirror his. So, you know, once you write a book, you're not thinking, "Okay, I'm going to write a book so I can get it to to Kobe Bryant. I'm going to write a movie so I can get it to Steven Spielberg." No, you just write it. It will be personal. you just write it. You write, you write out of your heart. You just write out of your, you know, your passion. Then, me, I start thinking, oh, this is pretty good. Then, of course, I share it with my inner circle who I trust, um, you know, to critique and to give me their honest feedback. And then that lets me know, okay, well, after that, I, you know, sky's the limit. You know, and people around me know that, you know, if I want something or if I, you know, really vision something, I get to work on it. So, writing a book about Kobe was a no-brainer. He's a hard worker. And that's what I mirror myself behind. And getting into Kobe um, was just, again, hard work and figuring out who knows who. Now, luckily, um, one, Kobe Bryant is in Los Angeles. Okay, so that's a lot easier, (laughs) number one. Um, But, of course, he's always gone. He was always somewhere. Um, But, two... um, there are a the couple of breaks that you hear about in those crazy entrepreneur stories i being a basketball guy again, I say I played and at a high level, and I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of people in higher ranks um so there were the, there were a few attempts prior to the October book Fair, you know, but they just didn't work out. You know there was people that knew him there were people that you know that worked with him closely. And different things like that, but it never really worked out. But I will tell you this it worked out when I said, okay, I'm gonna do it myself. I'll get to them. Because I don't, and then it's like, how do you how how do you do that? It's like I don't know, but I figure it out. And I was able to get in contact with Kobe Inc. on my own. Well, of course, these are what help if you get what I'm saying. Entrepreneurs out there know what I mean but at the end of the day it was me saying no forget that everybody else is you know flaking and i don't have time obviously time is of the essence so
0: yeah and that determination and just that will is just the the pinnacle of entrepreneurship because when doors are closed you find a way to bust through them and to make things happen so, right. so i'm sure this isn't exclusive to trying to get Kobe to, or to trying to partner with him for his book. Can you give us some other examples of some hurdles you might've faced trying to get your, your nonprofit going and, and the fundraising? Cause again, this isn't like, a, I mean, you do have commodity products now that you can exchange to fund your nonprofit and, and to fund the programs that you sponsor and put on. But I'm assuming you didn't have those when you started. And so I'm sure the grind was a lot harder then. So can you take us there as to, you know, what it took to just get off the ground? Um,
1: uh, you know, lots of research, lots of um learning, you know, what area, what is best, you know, just talking to a lot of people. Um, the hurdles that you mentioned or you asked about, um, Again, I think the biggest hurdles was having the vision, but not having the <laughs> the resources behind it. You know, so it's like, how do you find something? How do you make something? How do you make money? Because you need, you know, at the end of the day, you need money to get to where you want to get to, um, in some aspect or another. Whether it's that actor trying to get to their interview or their, you know, their their audition, I should say. They need money to get around. You know what I'm saying? You need you need some type of money. And that was one of our biggest hurdles. You know, trying to find the facilities, trying to find um the 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 money to buy um the the, the actual materials that we need. You know. And I'm I'm really I'm really big big on knowing exactly I'm a I'm a perfectionist. So I have to spend money to get to the different clinics that I see the other coaches do. You know, if I'm going to do a coaching, if I'm going to coach and I want to be the best coach, I'm going to go watch the best coaches do what they do. Then I'm going to take it. I'm going to take notes. Then I'm going to add my style to it. And there you go. Boom. You know, if I want to be a mentor, then I go and sit and watch, you know, keynotes or I go and watch Ted talks or I go and watch mentors, you know, mentor other kids or children, you know, at these different facilities. and if I want to write, then I have to go to writers' conferences. I have to go and add myself to uh phew, um City of Commerce. I have to go to City of Commerce so I can, you know, get down there and, and join writers and just different things. There's so many different avenues that you have to take, so many different, you know, hurdles that you have to overcome. Um and one of the biggest was just, you know, having a vision having a good idea, having a bad, the business plan and downloading this and, and learning about that and attending this, you know, only to be kind of discouraged and say, oh, okay, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars to complete this. And it's like, ah,
0: you know, I'm thinking big, but my pockets are like, uh, so at the time, was this your, because you started as an LLC, was that your only source of income or did you have to work while you were, you were building? Oh, it? yes. I was working. I was
1: working uh, a job, two jobs at some time, and always my side job. Always my, you know, my youth mentor program. That's how we started out. Just mentoring, mentoring, you know, um, always dedicating myself to that. You know, no money in that in that area at all. Again, I say we volunteered for, we started out volunteering. We volunteered for quite a while um, before we start. you know, seeing um some type of you know revenue from it because again we didn't want to just jump in and start making prices i didn't want to make you know just do anything so i had to research and really wanted to when i started i wanted to make sure i started off on a good note and i did the right thing um and we were successful in that in that matter but yeah i i worked i worked two jobs sometimes
0: yeah and that's it's kind of a key component that I think people forget about. I know certainly for me, I didn't think that um, when I was starting that, hey, it's, it's completely normal to have to work while you build. Work your day job to build the machine that's going to replace your day job. Whether you're a nonprofit or for-profit. You want to be able to go in all in on and focus one hundred percent of your energy on what you're building because that's your passion, that's what drives you, and that's what you know you can scale. But for me, I thought, well, if I'm working a day job, am I really, am I really an entrepreneur if I'm working a day job? I think the answer is yes. And so, can you take us to kind of into your mindset then of like, okay, how did, what, why did you continue to work a day job? when you're like, hey, I have something, I have my out. I have something that I could step out and focus on 100%. Um,
1: you know, I've always been told that you got to keep your day job until your side job pays for your day, until you, you're paid. your, You know, your side job can pay for the day job or can replace the day job. So it was just that security, you know, having the money. Um, to have to to be able to put into the program, even though I wasn't seeing much of a return, but it was just being able to take care of myself, my family, um, and that business. So of course I, you know, elected to keep the regular job or keep the um, you know, the nine to five. So therefore, I could support my support
0: everything that I just mentioned. Okay, so you. You obviously were passionate at the time. Were there, I mean, to work a day job and sometimes a side job in order to fund your passion, I'd imagine there were times where you're like, do, is this worth it? Should I keep pushing? Um, or maybe not. I mean, can you take us kind of into maybe the, some of those mental hurdles that you had to overcome?
1: Yeah, definitely. It was a, there were a few times where I said, "Nah," I, I second-guessed myself. Um, yeah, and by few, I mean a lot. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, you second-guess yourself because you always—it's the fear of the unknown. Um, it's the the thought of what if. You know, it's the it's it's the fear of losing you know it's the fear of just like how what if what if you know what again it goes back to the what if and when you realize it at the end of the day when you realize it it's just like sports you know there are there's always going to be a uh, victor there is always going to be a loser you know but at the same time when you think about it it's like you, that's why you play sports, you know. That's why you play sports because you want to win. You know, you want to you want to go out there and you want to give it your best and you want to compete. And it's better to do something and lose than to do nothing at all. Um. So you go out there and same thing with the business. You know, it's like why do you do it? Why do you why do you go out and write books? Why do you go out there and coach? Why do you Go out there and do things when, you know, you're not going to be the most compensated or, you know, you're not going to get paid the most amount of money. And it's just like because your vision, it's bigger. Your vision is bigger than right now. You know, it's not about the right now. It's about later on. It's about later on. It's about the future. You know, you build for the future and you always press forward for the future. You work hard now. So that way, in the future, you know, you're, you're, you're good. But even then, you're still going to work hard. You know, it's just a mentality. It's just a mentality. And that's part of the reasons why, you know, the book, Kobe Day, is such a, you know, staple in my eyes. one of my favorites because it just shows the mentality, the Mamba mentality of how to be great, how to press forward, you know, and how to do the best,
0: that be the best at whatever you do yeah and i i think for for a non-profit or just any organization in general we we strive to give our best um but then there's a point where we feel like i, I mean I, at least i know for me there's a point where sometimes i feel like god i feel like i've hit a brick wall right sure um i don't know how to scale or i don't know what that i don't know my next move up or how to make that happen um can you take us into some of those times where you were like, man, I've, I've really hit a wall. Like sometimes you get a subtle wall that creeps up on you and you don't realize it, but then there are times where you're like, yeah, I know for a fact I, I hit a wall. So can you take, take us into some of those times where you realize like, man, I hit a wall and some of the, the ways you found a way to overcome that, whether it was fundraising or just a, or a a growth, Uh, growth curve?
1: Yeah. um, Some of the things that come to mind, again, I've I've hit plenty of walls if you think about it. Um, I mean, when I think about it, uh, I've hit plenty of walls. Some of the first things that come to my mind is, you know, when you're developing something and you have this, you have an idea of where you want to go with it and you're like, okay, great. I just need five steps and then boom, I'm right there and everything's great. So, you're working. First step is complete. You know, let's say, for instance, you're trying to um, write a story. First step is complete. You know, you get the story down. And then, second step is trying to get it edited. And you're like, okay, great. Okay. And then, the third step, you're like, oh, okay, let's go see about um, um, finalizing it and getting the right pictures and the right covers and different things like that. And then, boom, you got that. And then, the fourth step, you're like, okay. What well, is this is really good. Now it's complete. It's a nice project. It's great. Now it's all about PR. Let's go and get some marketing. Let's go share this book with the world. So you start sharing the book with the world and different things like that. And everything is good. And then all of a sudden, from your hard work, the first four steps, you get some calls made. You get a call from someone of importance. And they say, hey, we like it, whatever. Or they say, hey, we have a tip that you can possibly come here and do this. And it'll be great. Boom. So now you're like, this is the fifth step. You know? And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, you hit a wall, something falls through, you know, Um, something happens to where um, they're no longer available or the opportunity is no longer, you know, out there. So it's just like, wow, you hit walls, you hit walls often, you know, and it's good that you're hitting walls often because that means you're continuing to try, you're not just stopping, you know, so you definitely hit walls and you overcome them by saying, Okay, well, the first four steps that I did that I took to get here were good. They're great. We just need to polish up fifth step, you know, let's try to find somewhere else. And then that's the second time and the third time and around that second or third attempt, you pretty much get, you know, what you came for or you what you Um, you set out to do and it's just that test you know are you going to um you know stop after that wall if you fall off the horse are you going to get back on um you know what are you going to do so that's what keeps me going
0: yeah i uh yeah i'm i'm curious and i think a lot of the listeners would be curious so there's a non-profit piece and then there's the the products you have to fund your nonprofit. Can you take us into just the book writing and the development and the publishing component? Because um, I don't, I don't know if we have any people that are interested in being authors here, but I think that would be kind of great to dive into that to see um, what that process is like. Because starting a non- or running a nonprofit itself, I'm sure, is pretty taxing but then sure. to develop a book on top of that I'm sure that has its tr- troubles too so can you take us into what that looked like
1: yeah uh you know first and foremost i just running a nonprofit is is definitely taxing of course like you said but at the same time i'm a creator um and i'm always forward thinking i'm always thinking of the next the next thing that i want to accomplish you know i wanted to set out for it. and again i accomplish something by setting out to do it doing it trying to take it to the level that you take it to whether you fail or you succeed I've already accomplished it because I went that far you know I think that's the big part about my thinking of, on far as as far as accomplishments um but writing a book again the writing a book was easy um it was out of pure passion um writing itself is out of pure passion um I get on the flow start writing um And I like it. I like. I would say I like everything. There are some that I won't try to bring to the mainstream. Of course, those are just more so like what I call like fillers—just little small stories just to keep my brain um, going and get those thoughts out of my head onto paper. Because it's something about that um, writing down, you know, what you see in your head on paper—it's just magic, you know. Nothing, something that even a computer can't—you know—the aesthetics of it, a computer can't can't. can't do it you know it won't be able to give you the same feeling um but writing the books was one thing um then after that trying to see how many people can you share this story with you know you like it um you enjoy it the people around you enjoy it the people around the people around you enjoy it why not share it with the world why not bring more um Happiness, good moments, humor, adventure, imagination into the world, creativity into the world. Um, so then, that's when you go and say, "Okay, we need to invest a little bit." Of course, we can do things, you know, with the flyers and and word of mouth and different things like that, but that's when computers come back and that's when computers come in and you say, well, we have to market, we have to go online and we have to do ads and we have to pay for these ads and we have to invest in different things and we have to make sure they, they work with a demographic. And so not only is it, you know, taking, you know, not only does it cost money to do these, but it also takes time and time is more valuable than money, you know? So, that can be very taxing as well. So that's when that starts to wear on you. But it's the satisfaction of someone saying, I'm reading your book. Um we read your book every night before bed. Um I I sent twenty of the books to my friends in Indonesia. Um these are actual things that I've that I've actually heard or I've read in text messages or emails, um reviews um from Amazon. Um, it's just the satisfaction of that. And it's fun. It's just like, okay, let's see what we can do. What else can we do? What else can we do? What else can we do? Uh, You know, what else can we do to reach people? You know, you're reaching people in Indonesia. You know, things like Amazon, having your book on Amazon, you know, is great. Now, to answer the question for those that might be thinking it, independent or major publisher, It all depends, really. It depends on what your time frame is. It depends on what you are willing to um, give up to get. It depends on what you're willing to risk. Um, You write a story now. um, I'll tell you my encounters. I wrote stories that I have submitted to major publishers. Okay. And they give you... A notice that says okay a query response that says we'll let you know and we'll we put it in our pile what I've come to learn is called the slush pile and you know you can be on the slush pile for six to eight months in that pile is your books amongst other books amongst other books so you know you take that risk you know not knowing what's gonna happen with your manuscript Me, on the other hand, I want the feeling that I felt at the time, I want that present moment that feel to go out into the world, to go out into everybody so they can feel what I'm feeling. I don't want to write a story in in, in February, you know, or I don't want to write a story about the summer that takes place in the summer, but it won't be released too you know, next fall, not even the fall that's coming up, but, you know, next, it won't be released till next fall, so, no, I don't like that, so I went indie, and I published my own books, which does take more work, more time, more energy, more risk, but satisfaction, when you print your own books, you have print on demand, or you have them through different things, like CreateSpace, or Amazon, or, uh, it's a lot of different, Uh, portals uh, that you can use to, you know, produce books or produce different things like that. And, you know, once you find them, you can publish through them. And now you have full stories. And now you have stories that are available. And then you have to do the hard work, which is the groundwork. You have to go and get it to the people in Indonesia. You know, you have to get it to these people. The big publishers, they make one phone call, they put you out there, boom, you're out of there. But it's so much, you know, so much time, so much, ch- it's so much risk. It's like, and me personally, myself, nah,
0: I'd rather do the hard work. I don't mind doing the hard work. So what does that hard work look like to, to put something like that to market and to get some traction? Because whether it's, whether it's your, you have a, a bathing suit brand or a t-shirt brand or a, an accessories brand, it's with so much so much out in the internet sometimes it's hard to get past that that initial cr- noise right on the internet so how what were you doing to market that and and to get some traction with your with your book to get it to people in indonesia and other places yeah, around the world
1: right just everything using all the resources that i did have that were willing to help you cuz you know you have to have people um, that are willing to help of course i have people that you know that were around me that weren't the most willing to help you know so you have to find those that are willing to help and mostly it's just you doing the groundwork you hitting the ground running um you going to the different independent bookstores you know you're going to even barnes and Noble because barnes and nobles have programs um where you can go and do a book reading there you know if you get you know 50 or 50 to 75 people to show up and they purchase books, you know, they'll sell you, they'll sell the books for you. They might even consider putting your books on the shelf depending on how well it does. So there are different ways to do it. You just have to do it. And the hard work is trying to find, you know, the resources to do these things. Um, Getting around, getting to and fro, you know, um, some of the things that I did, I, again, I'm a perfectionist, so I would, I, I'd look up all the different independent, you know, booksellers out there. I'd look up all the different manufacturers out there. Am I getting the books at the at the best rate? Am I able to get these pages cheaper? Am I able to cut costs here? Am I able to scale and different things like that? So we experience uh, a lot of you know, it takes a lot to do all of those things. But I feel like the attention to detail is what shows up in the end results and that's when you get the biggest results from your hard work. Because you put the details into it and you've done the hard work and you've you've called the different PRs and you've called newspapers and you've done podcasts such as these. You know, it's just still growing. I'm again I'm not a million dollar company, but these are all the ingredients that it takes to become that type of company or type of brand a well-known recognized brand
0: so it sounds like you're still doing a lot of the in-person interaction and and not just i mean because i'd imagine as a nonprofit even as a for-profit business uh, spending a bunch of marketing marketing dollars in the beginning days isn't as easy as maybe it's being a bigger company, so did you have to do a lot of a lot of in person events or did you spend a lot of time marketing online what What did that look like
1: yeah it's a lot of a lot of in person events um you know book fairs uh church church readings um school tours I have a couple of school tours lined up um you know just getting out there and getting tangible and filling and then again i i like i like the interaction. And the experiences that I have with people when they, when they, when they see the books and they see, um, and I see the, the smiles on their faces, you know, and I see how happy the parents are and how happy the kids are. Everybody's relating with everybody. You know, the book is, is just a bridge in between families and it's just awesome. Um, so, you know, a lot of in-person events, um, as well as online presence, you know, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Twitter ads. You know, staying on your socials, you know, doing things like that, staying active on your social medias. Um, something I'm not the I wasn't the best at at first. But, you know, over time, you've learned different tips, different tricks to say to stay active and stay up to date. It's so many different things that you have to do when you're a one man band or, you know, you have a, just a couple of people that are helping you. But for the most part, at this point, you can't. I articulated the best way to myself. To bigger companies. So until I'm able to get it to bigger companies, then I'll continue to do it myself, and everything is in house. So you do the marketing online. You do the marketing, you know, on on from your website. You have your website, and you try to drive people to your website, and you try to drive SEO, and you just try to, you know, get people to YouTube, and you just just views, 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 streams, 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 and just you know, just try to move units, and and Get your products out there and become a, a recognized brand at the end of the day that's what you really want you know if 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 you don't make any money me personally i don't make any money um, but it's just enough to take care of myself and my family and keep the brand going i'm happy i'm happy
0: and it sounds like it just uh, because you have a bigger vision it sounds like uh, you're definitely going to make leaps and bounds but you still have have that that realization that you're, you're going to keep pushing, you're going to keep going. But this isn't the end all be all. If you don't make that. Right. Sure. Um now I just I kind of want to go into so where you where what what is it? We're in February of 2020. Mm-hmm. What's one piece of advice that you would give to Donovan and in the beginning days what's one thing that you've learned along the way that you would say hey this this is a pro tip that's going to take you even further
1: the pro tip would be to stay educated continue to educate yourself on on everything learn a little bit about a lot you know you diverse yourself that way you diversify you can diversify your portfolio, if you will, um, by just learning and just gaining more knowledge about not just the events or the things that you enjoy, but also just what's going on around the world. Staying up to date with current events and current times and trends and different things like that. Stay true to yourself, sure, but at the same time, it helps when you can have something that relates to people you know even the wildest dressing rock star is going to have something that people can relate to you know people don't walk around like like gene simmons from kiss you know but he's recognized and they can relate to him by you know some of his makeup and different things like that there's so many different correlations you could have but i would just say to stay educated you know, continue to gain knowledge and stay consistent.
0: That's awesome. And I, I think that's that's one thing that, that a lot of people forget to do is that in the beginning days, everyone's like, okay, I need to absorb as much as I can, but mm-hmm. they forget along the way to, to keep their skills fresh because the world around people is changing a lot faster now than it ever has before. Yes. And so I, I'm kind of piggybacking on that. So something I like to do every show is called keep, tweak, delete. What's one thing you've kept in your organization that's helped accelerate your growth or that's helped sustain your growth? What's one thing you've tweaked or adjusted that's that's helped scale and accelerate your growth? And what's one thing you've deleted or removed? That had you not removed this from your organization, whether it's a mindset or an operational issue, uh, had you not removed that, your business or your organization wouldn't be where it is today.
1: Uh, That's a great question. Keep, tweak, delete. Okay. Um, Well, first things first, I would keep always the customer service aspect. I'm very personable with my customers, my clients, um, you know, and customer service has always been the forefront of my success. I've always wanted to be, you know, open to suggestions and also helping those that might need help with different things and guidance and um, just making sure that – the customer, the client is satisfied. They're happy, you know, when we send books out to customers, when we send out to when we send books out, we send them in nice packages, you know, and those things go a long way. You know, a lot of people won't don't have to necessarily do that, but we do it. Uh, we do it to, you know, just to show the customer that we want to go the extra mile. Um, so definitely, you know, going the extra mile. Customer service, for sure, I would keep that. I would keep that aspect. Um, Tweak. Um, If I had to tweak something, I would say...
0: If I had to tweak something, tweak,
1: tweak. If I had to tweak something, I would say to get locations where... They were uh how do, how do I say this let's let's scratch that tweak I would huh, that's a tough question it's a tough one
0: um, yeah, that's the I'm one always, that usually gets people <laughs>
1: yeah, i'm always I'm always critiquing you know what i mean i'm always I'm always tweaking something, so there's so many different because 'cause I'm always you know working to try to. You know, make, make the experience or the product as complete as possible. Um, I would say tweaking things. I mean, you know, just I think giving myself more, um, you know, uh, credit for some of the things that I do. I, I, again, I say I go, to, I go the extra mile quite a bit, but sometimes I'm not as satisfied with my result as others are. And they say, Oh man, you know, it's great, you know, different things, but I don't give myself enough credit because I'm always my worst credit. I'm always working to try to achieve something more. When sometimes, you know, you just have something that's just good. It's already, you know, it's just good as is. So I would definitely tweak that. Um and then also delete. Um, I'll tell you something that I've deleted in the past. Um, even though I try to um Deliver the best customer service and and, and have the most, you know, uh, communication with my clients and being open to them. And even though I try to go the extra mile, um, one of the things that I had deleted out of my business and my work um, ethics was to alleviate trying to please everyone. I'm trying to say that the nicest way possible, but yes, basically just trying to avoid to please everyone because when you do that you run and stretch yourself thin. And in the beginning it was like me trying to appease everyone so that way I can keep things afloat. So that way it was the fear of missing out. It was a fear of, you know, losing something, you know. But it wasn't efficient. You know, it wasn't efficient in in terms of business. It didn't grow um, anything. It actually did the opposite. So when I started to realize, hey, you got to believe in what you believe in. You stick to what your plans are. And you've already kept the, you've already put the customer first. That's what my, my whole game plan, my whole business plan is. It's centered around the customer. After that, you know, there are some something that you won't be able to do. There are some things that you won't, there are some people that you won't be able to appease. But you know that you're doing a great job. You know that you're working hard, even though I don't give myself much credit sometimes. But you know that you're doing it for the right thing. And how do you know that? You measure that by other customers, you measure that by other people that are in your inner circle or those that are customers and clients, and you listen to their feedback, you know? And so that's what I have deleted out of my business plans and business methods is trying not to appease everybody because everyone is different, including myself, you know, including myself, but there's a generality with how I treat everyone. And that's just with, you know, the same way that I talked about in the beginning.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like you're kind of saying, just staying true to what the vision is, I think, because like you said, you can't make everyone happy, but if people, People are going to rally behind what your vision is. They're going to rally behind it. And if not, were they really invested in the vision at first? Right. Like, I mean, I guess kind of like, you know, if Disney came out with a new ride and people were like, eh, kind of, you know, felt kind of lackluster about it they're still going to go because they know over the grand scheme of what Disney rolls out, right. they're going to release great quality products that, that people are going to keep coming back for over and over and over, no matter how much they raise the prices, but because Disney stays true to what their vision is. Uh, like I'm sure a lot of people say we want more thrill coasters, which to, to keep up with, you know, modern times. I'm sure they do to a degree, but they still stay true to their vision of family and, and those values.
1: Sure. Exactly. That's exactly my, my, my idea when it comes to business, you know, staying true to the brand. And sometimes, you know, people might ask you to step outside of your vision and, you know, that's one thing that I say, "Eh, you you gotta be a little, you know, um, tough on because you can't, you can't step outside your vision. Mm -hmm. You know, it's your vision. It's not theirs. Right. If you're confident in what you vision, Then you should not have any, you know, outsiders to tell you otherwise.
0: Right. So, I mean, it sounds like you're, you have a vision set out. What's your next money move? I mean, and I guess for you, your next scale move or, or the next big push for your, for your organization?
1: You know, one of our biggest, um, resources that we always seek are you know locations and where can we do events and where can we host events um our best our our biggest goal my biggest goal is to own a facility to have a facility where I can you know host these events where I can put on the different venues you know and also have a place where other people can do the same thing that are in my shoes because there are a lot of people that need venues there are a lot of people that need events mm-hmm. I mean that have events that are looking to host you know certain things here and there so my biggest goal is to find and own a facility for our program so that our kids um are always in a safe place they're always in a safe domain, and we pretty much know anything and everything that goes on in the place we want more control. Um, in that aspect to where we can own the building and if we feel like if we can own a building then we can produce a lot of positivity and just life-changing attitudes you know with that facility so that's our that's our best thing that's our biggest thing we'll create you know of course the apparel and, and we have books and we have novelty items and so many other different things but Ultimate goal is to own a facility where we can provide a safe place, a fun activity, a fun environment where kids feel free to just be imaginative and they feel free to just be themselves and they learn different core values that help the world because these are the future. The children are the future, um, so we we want to have an influence on that.
0: That's amazing, and it sounds like you're you're well on your way, and and even after years of grinding and pushing, you're still figuring it out, and you're still working at it, and you're you're still you're still pushing. And so I I, I just want to say I appreciate having you on the show today. Um, I, I feel like you gave a lot of great great insight and feedback, and. And like I said in the beginning, I think that for a lot of people, um, just starting a for-profit business is difficult enough. So to see the struggles of starting a non-profit and having to be creative and how to fundraise because no one's just going to give you money. I mean, people really want to give money for, for for-profit businesses. So finding a way to be creative, um, I feel like this was super insightful and it'll be super valuable for our listeners. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Great, great. What tremendous value and insight that episode had. You know, I think that it takes a unique kind of person to start a non-profit. One that actually has a mission to help people. I mean, non-profits, I know that there's a lot of misconceptions or there's a lot of ideas about what what value they have in our, our global commerce or in our communities, but they really do have a lot to work through. And so it was unique and inspiring to just listen to Donovan or Don and and hear some of the things that he went through and why like like I said before it takes a certain amount of commitment to start a for-profit business. Now imagine taking that commitment and putting it into something where you have to fundraise. Now it's not like a tech startup where you're getting venture capital and people are saying, "Hey, I'm going to invest into you or I'm going to help you fundraise, but I'm expecting a return on investment. That's a lot different. People are, you have to fundraise be, and get people to buy in to your overall vision and to over your overall marketing strategy, What what your what problem you're trying to solve. And so I think it was very fascinating to have somebody that maybe for the listeners out there that doesn't necessarily... Uh, touch some of the things that you think about, right? Because as an entrepreneur, you're thinking we already think we have it hard enough, right? um Trying to get buy-in, trying trying marketing strategies, but we look at what Don did. He didn't let any of those hurdles stop him from doing what he he envisioned, and now he has a mission and a, a vision to keep scaling and growing. Whether it's building his own facility. Or hosting more events. Or whatever it is. Just having that compa- that passion and that burning desire to do something bigger than himself. And that's what drove him. And so I hope this, somebody, this helps someone out there. That, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. Sometimes you're not, you just don't want to do it. Hopefully you're not facing that burnout. But even on the days where you don't feel like getting up, getting up and doing it anyways. Because you see a not-for-profit business, how it can touch the world. Sometimes you, even as a business, could be someone's role model of what it means to push through and to build something great and meaningful. I mean, just look at any of the great companies that have started within uh, the last 100 years. They built something meaningful because they were dedicated to their vision to their purpose and dedicated to building something worthwhile and meaningful and if you really deep down inside of you believe that you're building something meaningful with a vision and with purpose you'll be unstoppable is it going to be hard? Yes anything worthwhile is going to be hard but it will be worth it so I hope that encouraged someone out there I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as always Reach out to us. I'm happy that I've been receiving some feedback, whether constructive criticism or just feedback about how the show is helping people. Share this with a friend. One friend that you think could use this, whether they're starting a nonprofit, whether they're starting an at-home business or an in-home business, or they're starting a tech startup, whatever they're starting. Share this with one person that can use this. And then subscribe. Every week we're releasing weekly shorts and we're releasing our interview episodes. And who knows what other content we'll be bringing down the road to ultimately to try to provide value, not try, we're going to provide value for our listeners. See, even I have things I need to work on, like removing the word try. So again, I hope this helps someone out there. I really enjoyed interviewing Don, um, gave me a lot of insight. I thought, like I said, I thought being an entrepreneur that was starting a for-profit business was hard enough, but apparently the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So, just remember, as I always say, you climb a mountain the same way you run a marathon, one step at a time. Until next week's episode, we'll see you at the top.